It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here with Zerlina Maxwell. And we are joined right now by Dr. Rob Davidson. He's a board-certified emergency physician in rural West Michigan and the executive director of the Committee to Protect Healthcare. I'm so excited to talk to you because we were talking earlier in the show about the fact that folks are removing mask mandates and, and other mandates. And I'm like, is this based in the science? So you're a board-certified emergency physician with nearly 20 years of experience in the emergency department in rural Michigan, West Michigan. Good morning. Is this based in science? <laughs> yeah, lifting of the mask mandates. Well, boy, I tell you, science, uh, first, thanks for having me. It's great to talk with both of you. Um, it's tough because science is a moving target. Science is not black or white. It is very much a lot of gray. And, and for the most part, throughout my career, science has happened in the background, right? It happens in journals. It happens at journal clubs and, and conferences and a bunch of people get together and debate the results of studies and come up with a consensus. Hey, this is what we think represents the most likely reality right now. And it's been like that you know, my whole career, 25 years since I uh, got 28 years since I started med school. And, um, and so it's tough because science right now is playing out uh, in a 24 seven news cycle and the, you know, and kind of uh, with politics involved and, and social media and so uh, is it rooted in science? Well, somewhat, right? Uh, masks do help, absolutely. Numbers are absolutely coming down, but somewhat those numbers are coming down because people are wearing masks, because kids mm -hmm. are wearing masks in schools. Right. And it seems a little bit crazy. You know, if you have a speed limit sign at a, on a certain bend of a, of, a, of a highway and it prevented accidents from happening, if you all of a sudden say, hey, wow, those accidents aren't happening anymore, let's get rid of that because people are driving safer. Well, fairly soon at some point, you know, the muscle memory of people slowing down on the curve may go away. And, and I, I'm a little concerned that this is a little premature. At some point, absolutely, we have to live with this virus. We have to live with the reality of COVID-19 being endemic. It just doesn't feel like we're there. I tweeted about this don't, yesterday. Twenty five hundred. I feel better uh, now. Don't, yeah, don't you sorry. feel like 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 until I mean, right now we have some states that have mask mandates in schools and some states that don't. And the states right. that don't have higher covid numbers <laughs> and more children infected with covid than the states that do. Right. I would I would assume that something science based, especially since we are, in fact, already experimenting on our children, would wait until those numbers were, I don't know, equal before they said, let's take the mask mandates away from the kids in the states where they're protected right now. But One I don't know. Think, I'm not a yeah. scientist. And, and again, these aren't all scientific decisions. Right. Uh, they're social, they're, they're political. political decisions. They're happening in the scope of, of our entire society. And I mean, all of public health is that, right? Um, uh, to what extent do you protect? I mean, lead in here in Michigan, in Flint, Michigan, that was very yeah. political. Uh, an emergency manager appointed by a politician mm -hmm. through a political process decided that they needed to cut corners for $50,000 and then, you know, thousands and thousands of kids in lead ended up with lead poisoning. And we still haven't fixed the problem because it costs money. And that is also politics. So um, Man. 
it's frustrating being in this, but that's why I'm in this. It's why I'm working with the Committee to Protect Healthcare because the politics has such an impact on people's health and we need to, um, we need to get people there and support people who are doing the best for people's health. It, it seems like the, it's, it's odd to watch this like anti-science thing go f- like affect COVID precautions and affect abortion policy and like so much of what Republicans do that is, you know, palm to forehead level, it seems to be public health based and in rejection of science. So I, I wanted to, to, to ask you about um, Garrett Soldano, who is one of the Republicans running against uh, Gretchen Whitner for governor in Michigan. Um, had a little like Todd Akin moment where he said he thought that women who were, well, I guess Todd Akin thought that women could spontaneously abort themselves if they were raped. Garrett Soldano says that he thinks women who are raped should have to give birth because, quote, God put them in this moment. Like, it is 2022. Are, is, are, we, are we still saying stuff like that in Michigan? Apparently he is, um, and people who support him apparently agree with that and he was not widely rebuked by uh by the party in michigan or anywhere else so i feel like usually when republicans say stuff like that and they do they say this fairly often that people who are survivors of sexual assault should be forced to carry the term because of god or whatever usually that that in that's a huge national backlash that happens right away and other republicans have to distance themselves and and why why hasn't that happened in michigan this time well, I mean, Garrett Sodano's kind of a kind of a funny little character. I mean, he well, funny. Um, he <laughs> started the Unlock Michigan Brigade that took the emergency powers away from our governor uh, through a ballot initiative that was then uh, signed on by the Republican legislature. So, you know, that's how he rose to fame here against lockdowns, against you know the governor being able to protect people here in the state. And so he is he's not a serious person. Um, and, and so I think a lot of people translate that into thinking he's not a serious candidate for governor, but I, I think he's raised quite a bit of money. And, you know, if money is politics, um, I think we have to take him seriously. So we'll see. I mean, if if he rises to the level of being the front runner, um, probably some of this will resurface. I mean, I certainly made hay about it. I, it. It's unconscionable that someone would think that, let alone say it out loud as they are on a platform where lots of people can hear it. I mean, it's just not in line with anything that uh, anyone I know in medicine or, or the population at large would think is, is, is correct. Do you think we can ever get to a place where we're all sort of acting in good faith and, and having conversations about, about these issues? I mean, it, it feels like it's not a surprise that um, if you really think about it, that COVID policy and rhetoric is often not based in the science. It's it's just sort of like people's feelings. Like I'm I'm I feel annoyed that I still have to deal with this pandemic. I feel fatigue. Um, in you know I have COVID fatigue. Um, but also I feel like the the lack of um, you know, grounding the conversation about abortion in the science. Um, we should have probably seen sooner that they were going to do this with COVID. I feel like th- th- that was sort of a precursor. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, this has been happening uh, for decades with climate change, right? Yeah. Um, 
there seems to be this need for some folks in the in the media to present a both sides type of uh, argument, and they, they did that with climate. They've done that with climate change for years. Maybe that's changing a bit. But you know, when ninety nine percent of scientists think one thing, and and a couple of crazy people, I think a meteorologist in, in Colorado was leading the charge twenty years ago, uh, think that that's wrong. They'll present it well. People on both sides, you know, just like COVID. Um, I mean, it's one of my problems with folks like Joe Rogan having people on. And yes, I agree. People should hear both sides to arguments that have both sides rooted in reality. Uh, but when you present fringe uh, arguments or fringe opinions as legitimate, and then you try to pit that against the you know 99% uh, uh, views of healthcare of COVID-19, um, say of abortion, you know, it's a popular view, you know, 70, some 75% of people support uh, mm -hmm. abortion rights uh, for pregnant people. Um, when you present that as a both sides of argument, it's just not true. And, and unfortunately, they give it gas, right? They throw that fuel on the flame uh, and just let it let it kind of sit there and stew. It didn't help that the former president was leading the charge with COVID-19 and these baseless conspiracy theories and, and kind of the, the crazy science that they presented. Uh, but yeah, I think the media has allowed it to kind of keep uh, keep going. So on on the abortion front, if the Supreme Court does what we all assume it's going to do and it overturns or effectively guts Roe in in June, um, what happens in Michigan? Well, there is an arcane law on the books from 1931, essentially uh, a trigger law. Cool, uh, love those. Yeah, banning abortions. Now, one looks back and thinks, God, why didn't someone do something about this before now? But but that's that's what happens essentially. Now we have a governor, we have attorney general that um, I don't believe will let that happen. You know, in the near term, uh, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, and um, uh, and so. But what happens if you know the other side wins in twenty twenty two? You know, what happens if if we get to that reality? Well, abortion effectively becomes illegal here in Michigan, and and then myself, my wife, who's a family doctor, are going to have to. <laughs> decide how we want to play into that personally. And certainly the committee to protect healthcare um, is going to push because so many physicians believe this is just basic healthcare, basic healthcare for pregnant people, the, the right to have an abortion and decide what you do with your own body. The thing that's so, I think, well, should be surprising for folks at home is that we're talking about Michigan. Michigan is a blue state. Amy Klobuchar, or um, not Amy Klobuchar, Who's the senator from Michigan? I'm, I'm blanking. Debbie Stabenow. Thank Debbie you. Stabenow. Debbie Stabenow. I was like, I see her face and I can't remember the name. It's early. <laughs> My apologies. Okay. She's to kind the, of a behind the, the scenes center. type hard no, but worker she, anyway. She's she fantastic is. though. Yeah. And I've, I've interviewed oh, her. Yeah. She's, she's, she's fantastic. Um, but, but Senator Debbie Stabenow, I mean, I don't think that we think about Michigan in the same way that we think about Alabama or Mississippi. How do we get to a place in Michigan? Has this been a gradual shift? Has this been um, because of what's happening in states like Texas, Mississippi, and Alabama, that it's sort of like bleeding into some of these purplish, um, but in presidential elections, blue states? I mean, how, from the ground, I mean, how, how did you get to this place in Michigan? Yeah, well, Trump won Michigan in 2016 by, you know, 10,000 oh, votes. Oh, no, yeah. I remember. Yeah. I'm just talking yeah, about, yeah. you know, oh, Lord. I block it out. But our, so. our legislature has, has been uh, Republican for 20-some years because of gerrymandering. You know, we'll have majority vote in the entire state for governor 
for Attorney General, Secretary of State, and then the Republicans still control the legislature because mm -hmm. of gerrymandering. Now, that mm -hmm. should be better this cycle because of the independent commission that redrew the lines. But I think that's how you get there. You know, you yeah. take minority opinions and you carve up the state into districts that will allow minority rule. And then they get to push these crazy ideas like those from uh, Garrett Saldano uh, that that women who get or people who get raped should uh, go ahead and carry that baby because of God. I mean, that's, that's how we get there. Yeah, it was because of God. And then and then we have to protect DNA and allow it to yeah. have a voice like as a doctor. Can you help me make sense <laughs> of that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we need to protect the rights of that pregnant person, right? They yeah. have DNA, yep. they have fully formed chromosomes yep. and cells and, you know, a, a brain who who should have those rights protected. Those are the rights I'm most concerned about. That that DNA, I think, if, if that individual, Mr. Soldano, wants to go ahead and try to protect that, well, we'll fight like hell to make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the fact that, I, I mean, it's it's interesting that you're in this work and your wife is in this work, like, Every time I talk to a doctor who is involved in family planning or abortion care, they their courage really gets me. <laughs> like like the the they seem to understand that the the fight is happening, but that their services are so important that they 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 will do their work regardless of personal risk. Um, are, do you have do you have conversations with your peers about what happens if Roe is overturned? Do do you do, is that is that like a, a, a topic of, of dinner party conversation? Like do you guys have do you guys have planning mm -hmm. strategy sessions like mobile abortion units? Like what 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 kinds of conversations do doctors have about this? Well, it's a it's a different landscape than pre nineteen seventy three, right? We have mm -hmm. a pill available. Um, you know, before right. 10 weeks that that uh, that we can that can be prescribed. The federal government has made it such that that can be prescribed across state lines. And so I know personally myself, my wife, others that I talk to in, in my circle have plans to be able to be a part of something like that if this comes to pass, you know, have already had conversations uh, so that we can get in this fight. You're right. It is it is a fight. And, and people that I know that are in this space on a daily basis, know that they are putting themselves at risk by being in this fight, but just think the fight is too important. But this is now, this is bled into public health. I mean, I have, we have public health leaders in the county right next to us, Kent County, who is getting death threats all over the country, you hear of these things. And I think the people who are doing all of this work feel that uh, their job is way too important. Far too many people depend on them. Uh, the health of, of pregnant people, the health of people across the spectrum, depends on them. So it's worth the fight. It's worth the risk. Yeah. Do you ever see a, a day where, I don't know, we get to a place where there aren't these crazy conspiracy theorists or, um, you know, folks who are willing to say insane things like, you know, it's from God. Do you ever do, like that? These play, these folks will be marginalized from really the public discourse how do we how do, do you have any ideas on how we do that and do you think yeah i mean I, I do i i don't see a day where they don't exist right we there's this going to this has existed for for centuries it will continue to exist i see a day where we can marginalize them at the at the ballot box frankly um you know now that we've gotten rid of gerrymandering in michigan we can elect a mm -hmm. pro-health care pro 
uh, pro-reproductive uh, rights majority in both houses in, in the state and at the governor's level. And we can know that uh, we can protect those rights. And, and that, you know, people want to say crazy things and, and put it up on Twitter. Uh, I guess that's their ultimate right, as long as we have the tools, and, and in this case, electoral tools, to make sure that they have no place at the table when it comes to making policy. Yeah, I guess that's the like. Yes, we, we're we're not we're not the thought police. We just don't want to be governed by thoughts right. that don't have any basis in reality. I think at and the start, yeah, and that's oh. why the committee to protect healthcare exists because mm-hmm. uh, you know we have seven thousand healthcare professionals around the country who have said and and you know I've been advocating for patients at the bedside for an an entire career. I can actually go out and advocate for pro healthcare policies, pro healthcare individuals uh, to govern at a much bigger level. And that's, and that's, you know, what I'm trying to do. And that's, I know what so many people are trying to do. It felt like at the start of the pandemic that this was a major moment for science and public health and the need to trust experts, which as someone who has worked in progressive politics for my entire career, that cuts across a lot of issue lines that I care deeply about. Like if we start trusting public health experts and, and, and science, we start taking meaningful action on climate change. We start treating reproductive rights with the sanity that it deserves to be treated. We, you know, don't send our kids into experimental dangerous situations in the middle of a once in a lifetime pandemic, hopefully, knock on wood. Um, At the start of the pandemic, we, you know, Zerlina and I would actually have conversations about like, well, maybe this is a moment that will sort of coalesce around science, coalesce around doctors, um, and 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 create some some room for these other issues, even to be seen, non-COVID issues, to be seen in the like objective scientific light that they ought to be seen in. Do do you feel like any of that has happened? Oh boy, not yet. No, you're you're, you're <laughs> Crap. Too, at, at one time you're making me incredibly depressed, but I still incredibly hopeful. <laughs> Because you're right. I mean, that that was a moment. I, I think in some ways that moment has passed. But in other ways, the, the the biggest majority of people in this country still believe in in getting people vaccinated. They still believe in vaccine mandates because vaccines aren't a personal choice when it comes to an airborne disease that has affected so many people that can that can impact immunocompromised people and that frankly has the ability with different waves to take down the economy at different times. This is. Yeah gone way beyond personal choice, you know, this has now gotten into the realm of your decisions affect the entire population. That's what population health is. That's what public health is. And the majority of people still believe that it's the science, it's sort of become a silent majority. People just kind of putting their heads down and doing their, living their lives. It's these very loud minorities that are getting play on social media, on Fox News, on Joe Rogan show. Um, I think it's time for those of us in the majority to start making some noise. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll have an opportunity in this next election to, to show that. Uh, obviously, the, the deck is a bit stacked historically, but I think, I think this is the message. You know, we are actually the majority. We have to stop being so damn silent. We talked about this early on in the pandemic, like the people that are loud about it, the people that are showing up in Michigan yelling at the governor about lockdowns um, without masks. um, We remember those folks at the Capitol. You know, they're not the majority. The majority of the people are inside following the directions. It's just that there's 
the minority of people who are not are really loud <laughs> about it. Right, right. Um, right. And it's, so it's sometimes it's to hard to remember that. Yeah, we got to get louder about it. Like I have yeah. been following the directions. We're fully vaccinated. I mean, Jess got three vaccines, three yeah. different vaccines. She Collected is like them all. super boosted. Man. Over yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I started boosted. with J&J, which gave me yeah. a leg up so to then get she some, had some, some, okay. some, yeah. some better ones. But uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, you have because... an impenetrable shield around you. <laughs> I'm, I'm Dr. Manhattan, basically. I'm very yeah, excited go. about it. But like, so good. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I find it pretty easy to sit in my ignorance when it comes to science because I wasn't even good in those classes, much less pursuing them at that, that line of inquiry as an adult. But I am smart enough to know what I don't know. And, right. and to ask the people who know better <laughs> what the right, right. Which is why I do what they tell me. Like, it's, right. Well, that's it, what I do when there's a leaky pipe in my house. I exactly. Don't try welding myself. I do your own research. Trust them. <laughs> <laughs> they know how to do this. Otherwise, you're um, stuffing the leaks with ivermectin and wondering why your bathtub isn't working. I think we have to add that to the list of things that ivermectin can do. Yes, plugging up <laughs> leaks in my bathroom. Probably. No, but uh, I'm I'm it's glad least. you brought up ivermectin because this is it's been wild to watch people be so resistant to a vaccination but take things like ivermectin and like do weird baths and fertilizer or whatever they were doing a couple months ago i mean as a as a doctor when when even when you're talking to um folks in the community do these conspiracy theories and like weird treatments come up and how yeah, do you absolutely. react <laughs> Absolutely. I've had patient, multiple patients tell me that they are taking it, but they won't say who's giving it to them because, you know, they want to guard that. I've had patients come in and asking for, you know, iodine and a nebulizer, um, but then have at the top of their phone, you can see on the text, don't tell them you're taking ivermectin. And I don't have a problem <laughs> wow. with someone taking normal doses of ivermectin. Who, like, who cares? The problem is, in a, in a larger sense, it gives people false hope that this yeah. stuff will actually save them. So they think I don't need that vaccine. So it yeah. undermines the actual science of ending the pandemic. Isn't, you know, ivermectin, I took it for scabies when I was volunteering in Haiti because there was a massive outbreak among about 25 of us in this camp. And, and guess what? That's, it does work for that. <laughs> and so that makes <laughs> a lot of sense. Right. Um, you know, and like, poisonings and all that yeah if you take the horse pace and you take but if you just take normal doses of it it's not going to hurt you it's just not going to help you you know the vaccine's what's going to help you is there have you ever seen another instance of a disease or an illness where you are fighting with your own patients about what good treatment is uh no no someone comes in having a heart attack i look at an ekg they believe me first right Right. versus believing me there are people still don't believe the positive test you tell them about and then they believe when i tell them i'm giving you these three drugs and we're putting you on a helicopter and flying you the heck out of here because i work in a rural hospital to somewhere where they can stick a balloon in there and open it up and they say oh that sounds like doctory stuff i don't know what it all means (laughs) but yeah that makes sense and now they come in and say, well, I was watching Tucker and he said this. And you're like, you know, I don't know where he went to med school, but that doesn't make sense. Um, so it is, a, it is a very unique moment. And it's strange to be kind of at the epicenter of it, being in healthcare, being in public health. And being um, in a rural hospital. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you, in you a guys county are... that voted for Trump two thirds, you know, wow. so a lot of people around me uh, don't think that I know what I'm talking about if we had very deep conversations about COVID-19. 
Oh my goodness. Have you had to deal with those families, the the families that yell at doctors and think that they're not um yeah, not treating Yeah, like- we had Oh yeah, someone when when we told them their their uh, mother had covid, they yelled and said you gave it to them with that test. But the saddest thing I see is is really the couple that came in in their 70s who just lost their adult son to covid. They're mm-hmm. fully vaccinated. They came in because of some other symptoms related to stress of all this. Their child had died 2 weeks earlier and their child yeah. was against vaccines, thought they were fine, thought they'd be fine. And they just, you know, they, you don't think of that. You don't think of that kind of suffering, the people that are left behind every, you know, 800, almost 900,000 people died. That's 900,000 families without a parent, without a kid, without a sibling. Those people are suffering forever. And these two people just shook their heads that I don't understand why he wouldn't listen to us. Um, That, those are the conversations that stick with you. The people yelling at you, I've had people yell at me for 20 some years. Most of the time they're drunk, you know, so that can, (laughs) that can explain it. (laughs) This this time they're, they're drunk on Fox news, I guess. Um, But um, yeah, it's those sad stories of people who kind of think about their loved ones who could have still been with us if they had listened to the right people. Um, I hope that, I hope that you and your colleagues are, are getting the support that you may, maybe the support that you get is from doing your work with the committee to protect healthcare. But I, I hope that, I hope that you and your colleagues are getting the support that you need in order to keep doing this most difficult of work under these absolutely soul crushing circumstances. Like, I hope you all have meetings. I hope, I hope you get free therapy. Like, is like, is the doctor burnout real? Oh, it's real. Uh, nurse burnout is, is much more difficult. I joke I'm with sure. patients. I go in a room, I talk to them for, you know, 10 minutes. I say, well, I'm going to go click on some things and your nurse is going to come back and do all the work. And, and for the most part, I mean, that, you know, I, I, not to diminish the work that we do as physicians, but nurses, oh my God, they work their butts off. Yeah. They're in the face of the patients way more than we are. They're out of triage getting yelled at about people having to wear masks. And that is real. That's been real for my whole career. It's just been accelerated in a time when we can't afford to lose them. Uh, it is real, but I will say I'm, I'm very heartened by, by the team mentality. You know, we, we tend to rally uh, in times of crisis. And so I've seen a lot of that as well. I've seen OR nurses coming down to the ER. I've seen myself going to work in an ICU occasionally, internists coming down and rounding on patients in the ER that they never had to do before. And we're all kind of looking at, oh, hey, you know, we're in this thing together. Um, and that is heartening. I think that is a positive that's come of this. But yeah, the the burnout is is definitely a little scary when you look at some of the staffing ratios that people are dealing with. I'm sure. Dr. Rob Davidson, thank you so much for uh, the work that you do every single day and the Committee to Protect Healthcare um, and joining us this morning. It was uh, excellent to be able to talk to you. Yeah, thank Thanks. you so much. Great to talk with both of you. Thanks, Thanks for day. helping keep Michigan safe. We need it. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.